Galatians chapter 3, where Paul read for us earlier, I've entitled the morning's message, The Seed of the Woman, and because uh, we had a lot going on last week, uh, I decided to uh, name it part one and part two, so we're picking it up in verse 15, but first let me remind you why Paul is writing the way he's problem, uh, the way he's writing and the issues that he has to deal with. As Paul is traveling in Galatia to the churches, singular, this would be different from the book of Corinthians where he's writing to one particular church which had moral issues. With Galatians, it's doctrinal issues is the problem. What is happening, if you go back to chapter one, I've gone through this a couple times, verse six and seven, he actually begins his epistle by saying in verse six, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but they are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So um, what would happen is Paul would travel to these churches in Galatia, um, Paul would preach the gospel. And then there were some Pharisees that got saved. And they were Jewish, and they're called Judaizers. And they would go to a particular church after Paul was there, and they would say, did Paul preach the gospel? And they go, yep, preach the gospel. That's good. But did he also tell you that you must keep the law also? And, and this is where the debate comes in. And now you're adding something to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the law. And this is the reason for Paul's writing the book of Galatians. If you look at chapter three, the first three verses, he calls them foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Um, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit and are now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, question, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And Paul's gonna use different examples to make his case. Last week, the example that he used was that of Abraham. And he, the whole study was about uh, Abraham, we read in verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, seeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. And remember, we went back to um, when Abraham offered up Isaac, and uh, the Lord stopped him from doing it. And then Abraham prophesied, and And he said, this is going to be seen in the mount of the Lord. This is a picture of it here, 
but it's actually going to be an event that actually happens at a place that we call Golgotha or Calvary. But it says here that um, the gospel was preached to Abraham. And this is probably where that took place. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So now we made it through uh, verse 14 last week. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 15 this week. And uh, let's just read this one verse to give you an idea of where Paul is switching gears from using Abraham as an example. And uh, Abraham's covenant is not void by the law, okay? The law isn't gonna come for another 430 years. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, so let's just read verse 15. It says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. God made a covenant with Abraham that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And here what he's saying is it can't be changed. It's a covenant and it can't be annulled. Uh, let's see, let's say you're going... Um, hiring a guy to uh, fix your roof. And he comes and he looks at it, gives you a bid, and he says, okay, I'll do the job, but I want to sign a contract. And you agree to have your roof done for, let's say, $3,000. So you write up the contract, due upon completion, $3,000. Okay, the guy comes over, does the roof, and you come out and go, well, here it is, here's 1500 bucks. And he says, hold on a second. Contract, it can't be annulled. You signed it, $3,000. Yeah, but I'm only gonna give you 1500. No, you're not. (laughs) That's what's being said here. It's a covenant that cannot be annulled. It's a covenant that God made, and here, uh, to drive uh, the point home, I'd like to go to Genesis chapter three. Um, Just wait a sec, do I wanna go there yet? No, I want to read 16 through 18 first. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. But he does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later, so we have a covenant with Abraham 430 years before God gave the law to Moses. Um, The law cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And I find this interesting. Okay, this is after the failure of Adam and Eve. And now God is pronouncing judgment on all three of um, the serpent, the woman, and the man. All three of them are different judgments. To the serpent, 
he says in verse um, 14 to 15 here, um, well, let's pick it up in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, he's speaking to the serpent now, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Stop, pause. Uh, And he shall bruise his heel. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Well, first of all, Women um, do not have seed. Everybody tracking with me? Women have eggs. But yet here it clearly says, I'm going to put enmity between your seed, her, uh, or a reference to Christ, singular, and her seed. He is a reference to Jesus Christ. He shall bruise your head. And this is a reference to the victory where Jesus was on Calvary and said, it is finished. The seed that is referenced to is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's singular. And you and you shall bruise his heel. And um, let's see if I read that right. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Yeah, that's correct. Let's turn from here um, and go to Genesis chapter 12, just a couple pages later. Very famous scripture. Actually, it's a prophecy that's quoted in Galatians 3, 8. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And the Lord, now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing and I will curse him who curses you and all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a direct quote, if you're taking notes this morning, from Galatians chapter three, verse eight. And it was prophesied here and fulfilled in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. Now, it says, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Apparently at this time, God preached the gospel to Abraham, like we read back earlier, because the offering of Isaac is one of the finest pictures of the offering of Christ. Although God spared Abraham's son, God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. The important thing that Paul wants us to see in Abraham's life is that he obeyed the voice of God. Abraham was willing to offer his son when God commanded it. And God, when God said stop, he stopped. And he obeyed the voice of God. He demonstrated by his action that he had faith in God. Again, he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And um, the question is, um, what about 
what about the law? If we go back, I'll turn back to it and then I'm gonna have you go to Exodus chapter 20, but let me go back to Galatians 3 and read verse 19 where it says, what purpose then does the law serve? Uh, It was added because of transgression and then it has this little word till. Maybe I am gonna have you come back because this is an important little word. Galatians 3, verse 19. And the question is, what purpose then is given by, for the law? What purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Then we have this big little word called till. The seed, singular, should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Okay, so we ask the question, what is the law? Go to Exodus chapter 20. Everybody's familiar with it. And we have what we call the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first four is man's relationship to God. The final six is man's relationship to man. All right, verse one, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down to the statue, can't do it. Why can't you do it? God says he can't. And uh, we are to obey God rather than your worldly laws. And so they, they did not. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. I would be amiss to point out at this point a couple things about false doctrine in the church. And this morning I'm gonna point out um, um, the images. Anytime you walk into a Roman Catholic church or you're driving down the street and you see this bathtub with Mary inside of it, (laughs) there's a reason that they do that and they do not have the second commandment in a Catholic Bible. What they do is they divide up the last one and they cut it in half, and that's how they get the Ten Commandments. But get, but get yourself a, a Catholic Bible and you'll find that the image part is not in there. Now I'm gonna be talking about high priests also uh, in a little bit, making another connection there. All right, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God, I'm a je- jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold them guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I struggle with bringing this up, putting it here or at the end of the study, but seeing that I'm stopping here anyway, um, this happened at men's prayer yesterday. 
And um, as we went around and the guys were sharing their prayer requests and what to pray for, uh, one of the brothers said, um, I want to pray for, you mentioned family members, and uh, he said, they say they're born again. Um, but every time I go over to visit, every other word that comes out of their mouth is a cuss word, including taking the name of the Lord in vain. And he says, I don't know if they're saved or not. And I said, let me set the, strict, set the record straight for you. Not only is it a, a commandment of taking the name of the Lord in vain, but I believe it's impossible if you're a born-again Christian to take the name of Jesus as a cuss word. And if somebody says they're born again and they start um, using, let's just say, flowery words <laughs> or taking the name of Jesus in vain, my Bible says I'm to judge. We're not to judge, right? But we are told to judge doctrine. And we're also told to judge people's fruit, Well, what does that mean? Well, by judging a person's fruit, you're judging their lifestyle. And if they're going around saying JC this and JC that, and and it's just one blasphemy after another, I'll come right out and say, that person's not born again. Because I believe that's the very first thing to go when a person is born again. And you might mess up sometime and and, um, say a swear word because you did something stupid, and you go, sorry, Lord, I just said something stupid. Forgive me. <laughs> and he'll forgive you. But um, seeing that we're here, I'll, I'll mention it here. And um, I told the person straight out, I don't believe they're born again. I don't believe you can be. And take the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as a name of blasphemy. All right. Uh, The fourth one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your works. But the seventh day is the day of of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your maidservants, nor manservants, nor your cattle, nor a stranger who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. As long as I'm pointing out a little bit of false doctrine this morning, um, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of you have heard of the Hebrew Roots Movement? Many of you have. Okay, basically what it is, is they take this commandment and they say, we worship On Saturday, we don't do any work on Saturday, and they call it the Hebrew Roots Movement. I am brokenhearted by some very dear friends of mine that have gotten sucked into it. And I ask them straight out, do you understand the law at all? For it clearly says, if um, you keep one, then you have to keep all of them. And if you break one, then you're guilty of all of them. And for some reason, they just choose to look over that part. But um, uh, that's out there today, so just a heads up on that. It's not biblical, and you shouldn't give it the time of day. All right, the last um, six here are, first of all, what is the law? 
Oh, let's finish here. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which your Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. Notice it says, it does not say you shall not kill. Murder and killing are two different things. We have Christians in wars right now that are born again and they're not murdering, um, they're not killing, uh, they're defending our country. This is premeditated. You shall not premeditate a killing. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, lie up bottom. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, nor his um, manservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his um, snowblower, nor his, um, (laughs) or anything that is your neighbor. So these last six we call the Ten Commandments. What about them? Um, Here, the Judaizers are looking at them and saying, you have to do this too, along with the gospel, in order to be saved. Well, if you're taking notes, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. It's perfect. It converts the soul. Now, but there's not just 10 of them. Turn to me to Leviticus chapter 18. There's no way we have time to go through all this. Leviticus is... um, Uh, after Exodus. Leviticus, I'll pick it up in verse um, Leviticus 18 would be a good place to start. I'm going here for a particular reason. What we have here is 613 additional laws. They have the law of social order. They have in chapter 18 the law of sexual sins, which I'll be coming back to. They have the penalty for worshiping Moloch. They have the law concerning priests, the penalty of consulting spirits. Uh, They have the law, the penalty for sexual sins, the penalty for cursing your parents, uh, laws concerning the high priest, and it goes on and on and on, and there are 613 of them. Um, I want to go what's applicable and equitable. Applicable for what's going on in our country right now and have you look at chapter 18. And I'm particularly interested in verses 21 and 22. Um, you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Moloch. What is this being said here? They were actually killing their children, okay? And what is happening in our world today? And what's... Uh, the red hot button to push. They're overturning Roe v. Wade. And uh, the mobs that are forming and the fights that are just getting more radical all the time. Well, this is part of the law and much of America in the world is guilty of it. They shall not pass through the fire to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God, killing babies. 
The next one, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. Um, there's, there's pastors getting thrown in prison for what I just read. Canada, places over in Europe. And um, what can you say? Do we obey man or do we obey God? Uh, this monkeypox thing, whatever they want to call it, I'm not going to advertise. Most of you have heard how it's being transmitted. But this is exactly um, one of the laws that's there. So these two in particular, Roe v. Wade and the morality of our country sinking to uh, an all-time low. Verse 29, whoever commits any of these abominations, the person who commits them, uh, shall be cut off from among the people. My friends, you need to take a stand on these issues. Don't think somebody else is gonna do it. When it comes up and it becomes an issue, and um, you can come right out and say this is an abomination. When does the life of a child uh, begin? Well, according to Psalm 139, even before you're conceived. That's when you're known. David said, you counted all my days, even before you formed me in my mother's womb. God knew you as a human being. And he wrote down all your days. So when are you alive? Before you were even conceived. Everybody. And then um, uh, we, we see uh, that we're, we are ripe for God's judgment. And I think we're um, entering into that period of time right now. So 600 laws, not just 10. Um, let's go back to Galatians where I had, oh, had it in here with this little word, till, in verse 19. Um, and what purpose then does the law serve? Well, I wanted to explain what the law was. Ten commandments, but then 613 more. It was added because of transgressions, and then it has the word till in there. Till is an important word here, It means the law was temporary, okay? Is everybody with me? Um, Till what? The seed should come. Well, what did we read in Genesis chapter three? Who is the seed of the woman? Singular, the Lord Jesus Christ. Should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Matter of fact, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I haven't. I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. And um, he's the only one when Claire was up here, um, she was saying why we say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Why did she say that? <laughs> because Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. <laughs> why Jesus? Because he's the only one who lived the perfect life. I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. 
And no one, as good as you think you are or, or not, have committed, if you've kept all 612 of them, broke one of them, you're guilty of all of them. Good place for an amen? And again, what does that produce in us when we know that um, God gave us his righteousness and he took our sin? What does that do to you? Adding nothing. Doesn't it cause you to be thankful? Doesn't it cause you to do the only commandment? Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Oh, you're to love. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your might. That's the natural response when you realize you could be spending eternity in hell, but instead are gonna be enjoying fellowship forever and ever and ever and ever in heaven. And if that doesn't make you wanna say hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, then I don't know what else does. You are not part of the equation. Keeping the law, that the Judaizers insisted had to be kept is adding to, oh, you foolish Galatians. He says, how is it that you've drifted so quickly to another gospel? If you add anything, anything at all to what Jesus did on the cross, you're adding another gospel, period. All right, having said that, I'd like to um, uh, say this word till is very important until the seed should come. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter eight. Okay, the Hebrews. Well, what are the Hebrews? Well, they're Jews. They're Jews that got saved, but they're used to a lot of tradition. Any of you come out of a church that is steeped in tradition, and it took you a while to wade through it, and you realize, well, I don't have to do that, and I don't have to do this, and I don't have to do anything except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, period. I had a a guy who used to be here. He would sneak in on Sunday morning uh, after going to Catholic church, and he would get our tapes, and he would listen to them for two years, And after two years, he was persuaded he would not get struck by lightning if he came to Calvary Chapel. But so much tradition had been pumped into him all those years that he had to be sure. And he became sure, but it took him a season of time for him to get through all that. Now, Paul has the same problem because if you were brought up with the law, as the Hebrews were, even these saved Pharisees, these Judaizers, they couldn't let go of of part of the law. So now Paul has to, 8, 9, and 10, is Paul writing specifically to them, explaining why it is Jesus and Jesus only. So let's um, read the first, uh, Paul here, Picking it up in verse 1 through 6 of Hebrews 8. And remember who he's writing to, saved Jewish people. Now this is the main point of the things that we are saying. We have such a high priest. Remember we talked about a mediator? We have such a high priest 
uh, for the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Uh, This was done on a daily basis. Sometimes it is not, um, therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since they are priests who offer a gift according to the law. Who serve the copy of the shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was in divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make it according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. So he's talking about the Levitical priesthood. Um, You had to be a Levite in order to be a priest. And they had daily routines. John the Baptist's dad, they had a rotating basis where they would go in and um, fix the showbread, candles, make sure there was oil in the candelabras. The temple was divided into two main sections. One was called the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies behind the curtain. Verse six, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. What he's just explained to them is what their tradition was. Year after year after year after year. This is what they did. And they got caught in that groove. But he says, but, there's another big word, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on a better promise. Now we're talking about a mediator. In verses uh, 7 through 13, he goes on to explain to these Hebrew believers about this new covenant. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of uh, the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write on them in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And he goes on um, uh, to say for I was merciful to the unmerciful and their sins and their lawlessness I will remember no more. And that he says, a new covenant has been made and the first is obsolete. Now what is coming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. So that's chapter eight. Um, Chapter nine um, basically is a daily 
responsibilities of a Levitical high priest, the Old Covenant Sanctuary, verse one. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid all of them sides with gold, which was the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, or the items that were in the Ark of the Covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we can now speak in detail. And so this was the the responsibilities. But then it goes on and talks about the event of um, forgiving sins, the old covenant sacrifices. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing his service. But into the second part, okay, the division between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. But in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. And I might add that when he went in, they would tie a rope around his leg. And he also had bells on the bottom of his um, robe that he had. And if for any reason they didn't hear the digging of the bells and it was quiet for a long time, it means he didn't purify himself the correct way. He had to purify himself before he could go into the Holy of Holies. And who's going to go in and get him? (laughs) That's the reason for the rope. You pull him out. And it says, not without blood. This is a reference to his own cleansing, which he offered for himself for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating that the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the surface perfect in regard to the conscience, concerning only with food and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of the sanctuary. Okay, so he would go in, and he would go in, go back to verse seven. How many times would he go in? Once, but he did it once a year. It's called Yom Kippur. And when he would go in, this was a yearly event. Not a one-time event. A yearly event that happened every year. Can you see where I'm going with this? Okay, let's uh, go to this new covenant. And um, I have verse 12 underlined here. Not that with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place. What does the word say? Once. Once for all. Having obtained eternal redemption. 
That's in verse 12. Uh, 24 through 28 tells us, For Christ has not entered a holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Verse 25, not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered the holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to have suffered often since the foundation of the world, but now once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed unto man to die once after this judgment. 28, a very important verse. So Christ was offered once to bear the sin of many. Doesn't say all, even though he died for all. Not all except him. Uh, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for his return. He shall appear a second time in part for his salvation. Can you understand why Paul is so upset? Writing to the Galatians? You foolish Galatians, what are you doing? Why are you trying to add the law to something that cannot be added onto? You can't. And he's not encouraging them, he's rebuking them that you actually think you can add something to the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to read all of chapter 10. I'm only going to point out verses, um, let's look at verse 12 of chapter 10. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God. Job over, work done, it is finished, period. Uh, look at verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected those who are being sanctified. Being sanctified, ongoing process. We talk about justification versus sanctification. Justification is where God looks at you and you say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. At that moment, he does, and he looks at you as if you're white as snow. You've been justified, just as though you've never sinned. But Paul said even at the end, at his ministry, he considered himself to be the chiefest of sinners. So as you grow from a baby Christian, drinking milk, to the meatier stuff of uh, steak or meat, there's this process that we go through of being changed. The Bible calls it from glory to glory. The Lord is building uh, his own temple with living stones. And day by day, and little by little, whether you realize it or not, God is changing you. We call it sanctification, even though we're already justified. You do something stupid. And you know, I can't believe I just did that stupid thing. I know better than to do that, and I did it anyway. Lord, I'm sorry. And he's saying, you've been justified. Now you're being sanctified. And so when you go through trials, um, I think our EA speaker said it again this morning, that um, Paul's thorn in the flesh 
Paul said, I don't like it. I want it, I want it gone. Sorry, Paul. Not going to happen. Because my, um, my strength is in your weakness. And you need to be kept humble because you just got back from heaven. And I don't want you to go out and write a book about heaven. Not going to let you do it. So the thorn stays. What did Paul do when he heard that? Praise the Lord. He just wanted to hear from the Lord. Um, God answers every prayer. Can I say that again? God answers every prayer. Yes. No. And the one I hate the most? Wait. But he answers all prayer. If you say, Lord, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, he'll direct your path. Yeah, he will. You might not like it. And then again, it may be just what you're wanting. So let's finish this up as we look here. Um, As long as we're here, we're in the sanctification process. Go back to Galatians 3, and we'll read our last verses. From 23 um, 23 to 29, the reason for the law. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept by faith, which would be afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. When we read the law, we we read, well, I've, I've done that. And it's teaching us. Teaching us what? That we're sinners. What's the purpose of the, the main purpose for the Holy Spirit being sent, according to John? To convict you of your sins. When... Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. It says what he preached about Jesus dying on the cross, it says they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. So what is the main job after you're saved? What's the main job of the Holy Spirit? He's your comforter because now you've been justified and you're going through the sanctification process. So it's a tutor. The law tells us that we um, are not good people. We need a savior. Uh, Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now works. And having said that, I appreciate what Eric said when he came out. He said, faith, if you have faith, you will do the works. Okay? The works won't save you, but because you're saved, you're gonna do the works. And that should be added into this Bible study unless you get the wrong idea that we should be motivated to do good works because of what the Lord has done for us. Another good place for an amen. It should be a natural response. I don't know if I should share this up. Well, I let the cat out of the bag already. Um, people are very troubled right now. We at least know what's going to happen. We know like Eric here ended it up. Yeah, it's bad out there, and it's going to get worse. Driving into Men's Prairie yesterday, there was a fire truck across the street, lights on. And as I was pulling in, an emergency vehicle came up behind it. And as I was getting out of my car, the people in the emergency vehicle, not the fire truck, their lights were on too brought out a gurney, 
and their body language said it all. They slowly walked into this house. If this was an emergency to get a man to the hospital, this would not have been their body language. They nonchalantly, and their body language to me said it all to the point that I came in and I said, guys, I want everybody to come outside and look at something. And the day before, I saw three fire trucks. Three o'clock, Judy told me this this morning, she was woken up by two gunshots, followed by sirens. You know, use your imagination. That's, and what's being reported, we're not getting told, it's, a lot of this is really being subdued and held down. But my friends, if you have any idea that things are getting back to normal or get better, they're not. We're on the verge of the Ezekiel 38 war. Um, We're on the verge of watching Damascus cease to exist. And we're on the verge of uh, the blessed hope of being taken out of here. Again, I'm gravitating to some of these details because I want to exhort you, along with myself, to share the reality of what's really going on there. And that it's appointed unto man, we just read it here, once to die. No, re- no such thing as reincarnation. You have to stand up against it and say, that is a lie. You don't get another chance. You don't come back as something better than you were before. That's false doctrine. And so in closing here, it tells us, no, I, I need to expose one other thing. And that is, if it's um, a one-time offering, that was accomplished on Calvary. And Paul's main problem with the churches in Galatia is that they were adding to it something else, another sacrifice, adding anything to it. What is a Catholic Mass and who can perform it? And how often does it have to be done? It's called the Eucharist. Only one person can do it, acting as a role of if it, it was Hebrew, we'd call him a Levite. But he is ordained into that position because he's a mediator. He is the only one that can take this and hold it up. By the way, what do they call that place that they put it on? An altar. So basically what you have in order to be saved, you have to have your sins forgiven by taking the Eucharist and having the wine magically turned into blood. I mean, they could have picked anything else other than blood for, for talking to Jews, okay? But they, that's what they picked. But you have to, even though you have friends, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, and you know, we've been friends for such a long, long time, and after all, they believe in Jesus too. No. The most loving thing that you can tell them is, that's another gospel, oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you to believe another gospel? How dare you add anything and have it done week after week after week after week? And they have different levels of sin, all false doctrine. That's why my friend who would come and pick up the tapes every once in a while, I'd talk about stuff like this, and he goes, you know what? That makes sense. And in closing, the the whole book of Galatians here, um, 
verse 28 and 29 will close with. But I, I need to clarify verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I don't want you to think this is water baptism. It is not. Well, how do you know? Because of the next verses. Because um, I'll pick on Protestantism, the, the denomination that I grew up in. In order to be saved, I have to believe the gospel, but I also have to be baptized, or you're not saved. And so um, that is also false doctrine. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We have one thing in common, all of us here. We're all sinners saved by grace and it makes us one. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is one mediator only who accomplished his work one time, once for all, end of discussion, end of study. Nope, I got one more verse to read. You know me better than that. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's what? Seed. See, we're the ones that are grafted in. Bible says to us Christians, be careful how you treat your um, um, Hebrew Jewish people. Remember that we're divine, but we've been grafted into them. We, they haven't been grafted into us. We've been grafted into them. That's why the Lord says, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you. Love Song wrote a song about the Ezekiel 38 war called, I Wouldn't Want to Be a Cossack. What's a Cossack? A Russian soldier. Because he knows exactly what's going to happen. And um, three, two, one. <laughs> And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, singular. How was Abraham justified? God said something, he believed it, and that's it. It's his covenant. And heirs according to the promise, amen. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that Paul has been an encouragement to us Uh, not to add to or take anything away from the finished work of the cross when you said it was finished. And more than that, Lord, um, give us boldness to uh, let our friends and loved ones know that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And encourage them to say, don't be foolish enough to play Russian roulette with your soul. It's just too dangerous. And um, just pray that your word would find a place in every person's heart this morning. Uh, Bless the rest of our day and the rest of our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.